0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz and the NFL Draft, it it keeps approaching and we at Field Goals are taking a look at prospects. Alistair Corp doing an outstanding job focusing in on a lot of those prospects that we know that the Seahawks could potentially have interest in. So that way, if you're following along at FieldGoals.com, you'll probably get to draft day and, and you'll know some of these guys, especially talking later rounds. Alistair and I did a show here just a couple of days ago where we talked about cornerbacks and all of them are day three type prospects. And so, you know, th- those are some of the hardest ones to predict. Usually by the time that you get to the draft, you you know, just about everybody who is round one, round two, if you've been following along and uh, ultimately you're probably disappointed with who the Seahawks end up taking because we didn't talk about them enough. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we hit on some of those guys. Alistair, appreciate you coming back on and breaking down uh, what today we're going to be looking at off- Offensive
1: line and tight ends. Yeah, it's uh, the, the sexiest positions on the football field, and uh, nothing I'd be rather talking about with you. You
0: know what? The, the crazy thing is, though, as much as offensive line is not the sexiest of positions, I feel like people who come and visit field goals. They they come for that that offensive line content, and I don't know if it's just because they want to bag on Jermaine Ifedi, which they can't do anymore because now he's gone to the Bears. But uh, I, I feel like that Seahawks fans are really tuned
1: in to guys on the offensive line. That's because the heart wants what it can't have, and they haven't had a good offensive line since, <laughs> since 2006, so they're begging for it. Do you think
0: that's what it is? Do you think it's all of us who have been around, you know, that 2005 era Mike Holmgren team who were, you know, much like the the current uh, Seahawks fans who came around just a few years ago with the Pete Carroll era and are used to having just an amazing group of defensive backs? It was that 2005 era set of fans who were just used to having an incredible offensive line.
1: Exactly. It just set like such a high bar. Everybody hates Steve Hutchinson for leaving for Minnesota, but would hate Steve Hutchinson for just setting such a high bar that now, you know, a, a DJ fluker doesn't quite do it for after you've seen a, a Hall of Famer do it for so long and uh, just going to keep on craving it because I'm sure they'll continue to ignore it. See, the funny thing is, is that, you know, as much
0: as uh, people disliked Jermaine Fetti, I remember Sean Locklear getting all kinds of crap from Seahawks fans way back then. It's the, the, listen, we've never had a right tackle. It feels like where you can just have a guy who you have a ton of confidence in
1: that's the that's the you make a great point and that was something that was weird was uh when i was doing like the research for the oral history of sean alexander's mvp season uh everybody i talked to like was filled with praise with sean locklear i was like god i remember him being so unpopular back in the day you make a great point there where like it was him and a both just are uh criticized constantly and it's it's the curse of the right tackle in seattle for some reason and uh I'm sure it'll continue uh, no matter how much we want it not to not, but uh, need to draft like a left-handed quarterback. So all of a sudden they'll prioritize right tackle. It'll all be fixed.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? Don't worry about drafting a left-handed quarterback. Just make Russell Wilson. That's a long offseason. Get him throwing with his left hand and, and we'll, we'll get that working by this. You know what? That would throw everybody off. Start week one.
1: Russell Wilson goes to his left hand and just starts throwing it left-handed all all over the field. It's pretty, pretty genius. Uh, people say that Pete Carroll is not an innovator, but I think this would be a great way to prove his uh, <laughs> his critics wrong. So brilliant. We're, we're done here.
0: Well, let's look at some of these guys that might be potential right tackle uh at least competition. Maybe you go with, maybe when we look at day one, we're looking at somebody who can come in immediately and take over that right tackle spot. For, for as much grief as Jermaine Effetti got, he was a four-year starter for the Seahawks. It is, you know, you don't see a lot of teams who pick a guy and have him immediately come in in the first year that they play and, and play at right tackle now you know it wasn't exactly the greatest job but you know, maybe there is room for improvement there and i have to wonder alistair with the guy that you have selected as your your guy to watch for on day one isaiah wilson if he's there and the seahawks are able to select him is this a guy that can come in and, and you can be pretty confident in saying that's a guy i can see starting at the right tackle spot and is he maybe even a guy that you look at as a, a guy who can move over uh Dwayne Brown obviously getting up close to 35 and uh, uh, someone that could potentially take over for Dwayne Brown
1: so I do think that that uh kind of the idea of a Dwayne Brown successor plan will will play a part uh into what they do I think if it's Wilson then he will kind of just settle in at right tackle. Um, part of me does wonder if, if the direction they're going to go is what you said, where it's a guy who can, in theory, play both sides because, you know, Brandon Shell's money that he came with, it seems to indicate they're kind of comfortable with him starting. So maybe they don't need to, you know, Isaiah Wilson would be great in the, uh, the idea that you're going to draft him, plug him in a right tackle, and you should get at least four or five years out of him, and then make the decision. Um, I think he can certainly be passable right away. But then, like you said, if they're kind of thinking of, of a Dwayne Brown successor plan. I think a guy like Josh Jones uh, from Houston would work. Uh, he has experience on both sides of the line. He checks every box in terms of size and athleticism. I think his arms are a little short, but I think maybe only an eighth of an inch. But his backstory is something that I think they're going to really fall in love with. Uh, he kind of got knocked in 2019. Uh, he was kind of in that upper echelon of tackles, and now he's kind of falling behind where he might be kind of a, a day two, um, kind of middle of, of round two, round three area um because he had a poor 2019 but the backstory there is that he had had like a pretty bad surgery to donate bone marrow to his sister who needed it mm-hmm. um and then i guess talking to guys at the combine he pretty much stressed like yeah i just never got back from that like i did that right before the season it just it just kind of threw me off the entire season um and so i think in terms of kind of the the story and the background and and the the person the team is going to really like that and if they like the player which i think they will then that can make a lot of sense because he has experience on both sides and total candidate to stay on the right side. And then if Dwayne Brown retires or or is cut after this next season, then you can flip over to the left and you kind of have that successor because they don't really have anybody as far as a long-term answer um, really anywhere on the line. I went into this
0: expecting to like Isaiah Wilson, but I feel like you've sold me on on Josh Jones now. I, I love that you know that when the when you look for players like the the Seahawks look for players when you talk about grit. I, I think that story about donating bone marrow for his for his sister that I think that fits into that grit kind of category, and especially being able to then play throughout the season after dealing with that. That uh, I think you have me sold on Josh Jones now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As far as like kind of rooting for the person, never mind the player rooting for the person. I, I think he's, he's absolutely awesome. I, I wish him the most success kind of wherever he goes. Um, but yeah, he, he's a guy that I'd be really happy to see. And also because yeah, I think that Wilson, he needs a lot of development to become kind of a, not just a passable right tackle, but like a good to great right tackle. He'd need a lot of, a lot of, uh, kind of growth. And I still don't know where his, I don't think that his ceiling is all that high. Whereas Josh Jones, I think if you can get him back to level that he played with prior to 2019, then you're talking about getting really good value if that's a guy that you end up drafting in the second round no matter how they play it a big thing for me is i want to see them get the best player at a position of need with their first pick be it tackle be it on the edge for a pass rush wherever they see fit and then use those two second round picks if you need to to get all the way back up and, and get another player like this is such a crucial draft that you have to come away with as many difference makes as possible even if it means like kind of leveraging a couple extra picks to get up there be okay with it. Just you need to add talent. Um, And I think that's a situation where if you come away with a really good pass rusher and then a Josh Jones, I think that's a pretty good takeaway. Uh, And then the other guy for me kind of trying to get an idea of, of the second tier tackles after the first group is Austin Jackson from USC. Um, For me, he's kind of in, in the lane of the kind of the new prospect they're targeting along the O line where you know they have pedigree from college they're they're polished and they have a lot of starts under the belt and that's the same thing that was with jamarco jones that's the same thing with phil haynes same thing with ethan Pocic, uh which you know however they've turned out in, in the pros that's kind of how they targeted it and that's where austin jackson would fall in line so if they want to kind of go to the words that i do think austin jackson will come into play um but for me wilson and jones are the ones that kind of excite me a little bit more uh as far as Ceiling and immediate fit uh, at right tackle as it as it pertains to Wilson.
0: Yeah, if they do end up with one of any of these three guys, I think it's going to tell us a little bit something of the kind of player that they're looking for on the offensive line. Because I, I feel like after Tom Cable left, we don't really have just that that solid idea. You, you you kind of get the idea that maybe they're looking for some of those similar traits, but it feels more like they want kind of that Mauler type of guy and. Isaiah Wilson, man, when you, a six, six guy with 350 pounds, he's got 30 pounds on the next guy who is Austin Jackson on, on your draft board. And, you know, for him to still be able to show some of those athletic traits, I mean, a 29 inch vertical at 350 pounds, that's, that's pretty athletic for an offensive lineman.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think there are still some values that kind of Pete holds. Uh, I remember asking around after Tom Cable got fired, like, "Oh, how is this going to kind of affect?" Because these weren't just like ideals that we've kind of learned through studying. These were the things that like Tom Cable literally said. Uh, you know, thirty-one inch vertical, nine foot broad. 27 bench reps he said that like in public to to a forum at a seattle city hall event Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years ago and so i remember asking around after he got fired like how is this going to affect that and and the general consensus kind of like that wasn't really a tom cable thing like functional explosiveness is, is a pete carroll thing going back over a decade back to usc so that is still something of value and to have even a passable explosiveness at 350 pounds that uh That says something. And so for as much as we love Josh Jones' backstory, I do wonder uh, how they'll be able to resist a guy like Wilson who just kind of packages everything they want in terms of size, length, and then also explosiveness. Um, It makes a ton of sense for sure.
0: Well, another guy that fits into those measurables in terms of explosiveness is Matt Pert out of Connecticut. And not only does he fit those measurables, he has, as you point out in your article on field goals, 36 and 5 inch arms which are in the 99th percentile and for a guy that's 6
1: 7 I mean this this guy has some length yeah and that's that's like the most common thing across Mike Slary's drafts um, if you look at their offseason additions every single guy huge wingspan huge arm length like that's what he wants uh, and Pert has that <laughs> I think he's one of the most intriguing tackles in the draft he's totally different from anything they've drafted really during Pete Carroll's time But in the most exciting way, where he has a really, really high ceiling. And yeah, I don't know that they'll be interested or not. But again, it's just a guy that I wanted to write about because I'm a huge fan of his game. uh, And I'm a big believer in his ceiling. And I think that it would give them something really different up front, um, but something that they need, something that's unique. You know, they don't have many good guys who are good in pass pro, uh, which is why. Dwayne Brown has been such a revelation, really. And to, to add a guy like Pert, I think would be an excellent move. Uh, it would really excite me to see them kind of lean towards more pass pro than run blocking, because run blocking, you can manufacture good run blockers. Pass pro is is something that takes a little bit more skill, and and Pert has it. If you're looking for a player
0: who you can teach one thing, but already has one thing, it seems like you'd prioritize pass blocking, but they've, they've gone the other direction, obviously. And it, it seems like the pass blocking, they've never really been able to, because I, I guess just because they want those smaller, tough type of guys, but uh, yeah, it might signal maybe a little bit of shift. And I think even, well, with the signing of BJ Finney, a kind of signal. I think a lot of people took that as Seahawks fans to signal, maybe there's a shift going on in terms of a prioritization towards pass protection.
1: Yeah, and that was a, that was definitely an interesting move, and then and then kind of the shell one reset it because Shell's definitely a better run blocker. Um, but and yeah, I totally agree with the logic there. I mean, uh, I think run blocking is something that comes along a lot easier. And then it kind of going back to the Effetti thing where you know he was definitely a better run blocker, but then especially since he's left, I heard a lot of whispers in terms of like not the most coachable player mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, which if it's a guy that needs a lot of development, you would think that that would be something you would kind of vet ahead of time. Um, but by all accounts, kind of Wilson, Josh Jones, Matt Pert—they're all—they're all pretty good kids. So you would hope that they could develop. Um, you know, whether it's their pass pro that needs development or their run blocking got to bring in somebody that's coachable because uh everything that i've heard mike slary is very much kind of like an old school line coach which is why you see guys like dj fluker to take to him so much so you need you need mentally tough guys uh and yeah doesn't sound really like jermaine Fetty was that by any stretch of the imagination and i actually am kind of a big fan of Fetty. I don't mean to talk poorly of him but uh i think that's kind of the issue there so i'm sure they'll we'll see kind of a market correction in terms of the uh, the, the mental makeup of the prospect this time around Well, and gosh, if you're looking for a guy on
0: your list that is a coachable player, Charlie Heck, you have to imagine, is a coachable player. He's the son of a coach and former player Andy Heck, who played for the Seahawks. He's now coaching offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. If the Chiefs haven't taken him, uh, then it seems like a no-brainer type pick for a developmental player on the offensive line with Charlie Heck.
1: Yeah, and especially uh, looking at kind of his physical profile, he he's very much similar to uh, Chad Wheeler, who is currently on the Seahawks, um, was brought over from the Giants, who had Mike Slayer previously, like he's very much a slayer guy again. Uh, so physically very similar in terms of just a huge frame, like he's six foot eight, got great arm length. And he's another one where I was kind of struggling where to go in this day three direction. Like, should I try to find a developmental prospect or maybe a guy who can, you know, you're not going to have somebody who's going to replicate what Fant did exactly because Fant, like, you know, we all laughed the, at the tight end designation, but he was athletic. Like he was extremely, extremely athletic. Oh, yeah, uh, And you're not really going to find that again unless they find someone that, is completely off our radar. But I think Heck can do a little bit of those things. It, it, you know, if they seem as a development prospect who can also do that, that's fantastic. But again, I was kind of trying to find guys who had experience on both sides of the line because like you said, you know, maybe the direction they want to go is to replace Dwayne Brown. Maybe they need to replace a Fetty. Uh and you know Heck is a guy who has experience on both sides. So so I think um, you know he's another one who makes sense in terms of the physical profile and the experience. And yeah, like you said, uh, son of a coach. So hopefully you would imagine coachable and that would be excellent. You would think so.
0: You would think so. Well, Alistair, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and I want to take a look at some of the tight ends. You know, you had an article out recently where you're breaking down tight ends and yeah, people will probably be saying, oh, I don't see the Seahawks going tight end. They got four guys on the roster who can play, but uh, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if the Seahawks went to tight end. Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about it after this. Talking to Alistair Corp of Field Goals about some draft day prospects for the Seahawks and going into the break. We, you know, I brought up the idea that it's not likely. That they go tight end, but just when you think that you know what the Seahawks are going to do, they come out and do something different. I mean, I don't think we, we envision them taking as many linebackers in the draft last year, or even taking three wide receivers in the draft last year. So with the idea that you have four guys with Greg Olson and Will Disley and, and Luke Wilson. And then the restricted free agent, Jacob Hollister. You you feel like you have four guys that are pretty solid. But if they replace Luke Wilson, I mean, would anybody really be shocked going into next season?
1: And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, definitely uh, a bit of a stretch to imagine they'd take one day one, day two, especially in this class. It's pretty brutal. But then at the same time, yeah, I think... You know, Wilson is certainly, uh, you know, easy to cut. He may not even make the roster as is. And then, you know, for as good as Hollister was in kind of a spot start situation last year, he's also fairly disposable in terms of cap hit and, like, not a huge, huge loss of talent to be cut in him. And then you consider, like how much they miss will disley every time he gets hurt and it's really hard to think that he's going to stay healthy because he's had the two worst injuries that like a football player can have um and like you know if he stays healthy great but if you can find a guy who can give you what disley gives you on a snap-by-snap basis but somebody who's also he's going to be with with Russell wilson for the next eight years then maybe it's not the worst investment in the world and you know maybe it's unlikely but i think it could have a really positive addition on the offense even if i'm not advocating it for outright necessarily well, and some of these guys,
0: too, you have to think that if they fall to just the right spot to where you know, they, they just can't pass up on them. Let's start off with Cole Komet out of Notre Dame, because here's a guy where he, he seems to fit all of those measurables that the Seahawks look for. His three-cone drill, it, it might be more in the DK Metcalf range, but obviously they, they didn't have a problem with that at the end of the second round
1: yeah and he's he was like he's very disappointing because everybody really loved him kind of prior to the to the combine and everything and then he just kind of failed to to distance himself like it's a such a bad tight end class and he could have made himself the clear and obvious top tight end and he just didn't really do it tested very middle of the road um his lack of athleticism it, it shows up on on tape and that's what's concerning is you know he he didn't manage to kind of put away those worries you know, he's not really the most kind of like he has almost like the choppy steps that DK Metcalf has coming out, like you said, um, and not at all an athletic uh, comparison, but that's kind of the reality of it. I think he's a guy that could kind of slide into an offense, but I just don't know how high his ceiling is. And that goes back to, is this a person you want to spend kind of a top 50 pick on if you think you're getting, you know, the eighth best tight end in the NFL?
0: But if you think about it too, I mean, he, is he kind of in that similar mold of Jacob Hollister to where it could be an upgrade and maybe they see him as a guy that could come in and and I don't know what the salary cap would look like if they were able to get him, I don't know, maybe even early. Well, whether it's uh, late on round one or early on round two,
1: uh, it might be the cheaper option. Yeah, no, totally. I think uh, I think the cost would probably be a little bit um a little bit more even if it's in okay. the second round which he's probably gonna go in the second round i don't think any tight end is gonna go day one because it really is probably one of the worst tight end class i can ever remember uh, it's 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 always really really bad there's a couple of players i really like but it's it's depth wise terrible but yeah i think he's the guy he's he's a really like he's a passable blocker right now i think if a team drafts him and they have a hole at tight end they can drop him and he'll start he'll be fine i just don't know that he has like the highest ceiling and I just don't know the big difference that he would make in Seattle's offense unless all of a sudden like Disley and Olson both go down then you know we've seen tight ends outperform expectation we saw it last year with Hollister we've seen it in little spots with Will Disley you know nobody expected Will Disley to be what he was and it's a credit to him too because Disley's great but you know Seattle's uh, offense with Schottenheimer seems to be tight end friendly and I think Matt could be really really good in Seattle's offense but yeah tough to justify even if even if you kind of can make a position for him by cutting Wilson, by cutting Hollister can make the space for him. I just don't know that the, the place will be there for him to have an impact right away.
0: Well, shifting over to the inline tight end position, more of your traditional tight end, I think of what the Seahawks look for. And I think back to Luke Wilson and when he was drafted, one big thing about Wilson was his, uh, the speed that he had. I think, I, I think I remember him having like four, four speed coming into the draft that season. And there really isn't, Uh, a guy listed that has all of some of the other things that the Seahawks tend to look for at tight end, but for your day two guys, you have Adam Troutman out of Dayton as, as a player that you were looking at.
1: Yeah, I think it's been probably five years since I've been kind of trying to comb through prospects and watch a fair bit of them. And if I had to ask, or if I had to make like a list of my top 10 favorite prospects, Dallas Goddard would probably be in the top three. Like it was one of the most fun I've ever had watching a guy. It was just like, if you watched Rob Gronkowski get dropped in the FCS, like he was dominating. <laughs> and Troutman is a similar thing where like, he's just so clearly the best player on the field. And when you get like a tight end that that, it's like that it's awesome because it's just like watching a man amongst kids. And that's who he was. Um, you know, he was literally the best player on the field every single time. So obviously they didn't ask him to block really because, you know, he was their best playmaker, their best receiver, but he's 65 255 like really sturdy frame. So I think like it'll take time for him to learn kind of how to block uh, technique wise, but like you can definitely project it. Like he has the body, he has the mass. Um, and then as a receiver, he's really intriguing, um, you know, where Komet has some kind of concerns athleticism-wise that were matched up testing wise. It's almost the opposite for Troutman, where like he looks really, really good on the field. It just didn't come through on the on the testing, but it does show up. Uh, and so I I I really like his upside, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was the first tight end drafted. Um Komet's kind of the better regarded one, but I know a lot of teams really like Troutman, and he's a guy who's just he's helped himself a lot in terms of senior bowl. Combine and then just his play for Dayton was it's it's awesome. It's a really really fun watch if anybody wants to watch him. Well, this last guy,
0: this is a guy who ever since you had him listed on your draft board, Alistair, was a guy that I looked at and I went back and watched some of his tape too. And this guy just screams Seahawks to me just because he is a Portland State guy, so in the area of the of the Seahawks that they and uh, there was another Portland State guy that uh, was on the team. Um. So Shed. Yes, Deshaun Shed was Portland State. So I could see Charlie Tumapea ending up as as a member of the Seahawks, whether it's th- whether they go for him with a late round pick or maybe as an undrafted free agent.
1: Yeah, I keep wanting to kind of like consolidate the fullback position uh, on the Seahawks roster because they keep using a position on a guy like Nick Bellor. yeah. And you, that's why I want to kind of find a guy who can be the third or fourth tight end, who can also get some snaps at H back at fullback, play special teams, like just get these like four roster spots that you keep having to use on different guys for different roles and just put them all together. And that's who somebody like uh, Tamapeo could be. And I think it'd be a good move. It's it's a prospect like that that I'm really disappointed that we're not getting any visits this year because I think he's a guy that would have come in as a local visit and we could have kind of had a better idea. But yeah, he's another guy who playing at kind of like a smaller level, he had the kind of impact that you want to see, you know, where he, he was noticeably the most talented player on the field the majority of the time. Um, and like you said, yeah, he just, he really resembles the kind of player you think they'd look at and uh, yeah, he would be able to kind of do four roles in one. And that is excellent because yeah, it's just not a great use of resources to have a guy like Nick Bello or active every single week or Trey Mata before that, for that matter, if you can all kind of put that in one package, that's great. And yeah, he would be ideal.
0: Well, and I can't remember if you brought it up in your article or if it came up in the comments section, but when you talk about uh, that that fullback role, he actually in terms of measurables measures out pretty close to Kyle Uschek, who I know all Seahawks fans are familiar with with his role in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that was something that uh, in in the comments brought that up, and that's a great point. I mean, Uzcheck is like a legitimate savant um, at, at the position, so I don't know that he'd be able to come in and have that same effect. But in terms of like size and movement, yeah, I don't think he'd have any trouble playing fullback. Like you see, kind of sometimes when they'll have Luke Wilson back there, and it looks really awkward. Uh, I don't think it would be an issue there. Um, but yeah, Uzcheck is kind of. Uh, He's an absolute genius. He, he the things that he does, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but in terms of in terms of size, athleticism, and just kind of comfort playing out of the backfield, like it is an awkward adjustment. You know, the famous one was like when you see Michael Robinson, and rather than having his hand in the dirt pre-snap, he'd have his like hands on his thighs because he wants to see over the line of scrimmage because he was used to playing QB where he'd want to do it. I don't know that it'd be such like a strange adjustment for him. So it'd be good. I think uh, I think it'd just be like really good roster management to be able to kind of consolidate a couple spots.
0: Yeah, credit to Kali B. Flower. I, I found him while we were talking there, so uh, that's who came up with it in the comment section. So uh, definitely something to look at. I, I really like the Tumapea pick, and uh, that's that's a guy I'm going to be watching for come day three for the Seahawks. Or if he ends up falling off of the draft board altogether, maybe you know, with not having the uh, the ability to see a lot of these guys in person, maybe some of these local guys will end up being more of uh more drawn toward the the local team so the seahawks could benefit there and uh something to watch for sure so alistair really want to thank you for coming on and uh enjoying all of the great articles on field goals that you're putting out and, and looking at some of these guys so i'm sure coming up in the coming weeks before the draft we're going to be expecting to see a whole lot more
1: yeah exactly that uh it's pretty much just me draft stuff for me from here on out just trying to kind of catch up now that free agency is uh done and dusted with the exception of one one player but yeah
0: yeah it won't be done until jadevian clowny signs with with somebody
1: yeah with somebody whoever that may be and uh yeah we'll, 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 wait, we'll wait for that day what, what, what's your gut telling you at this point i uh, honestly still seahawks it's yeah. still it's still seahawks it um yeah i i take a lot i do put a lot of stock into uh what Mike Garofalo said the other day just how he thinks it's slim to none because I think he's proven to be really well sourced in Seattle but I just I think there's gonna come a time where he he just needs to secure some money because the world is so like upside down right now like there's gonna come a point where he just needs to lock in even if it's only you know 14 million you need to lock in some money because who the hell knows what it's gonna look four months from now yeah there's gonna be football like sign that contract that's what I would be doing and uh yeah I am entirely biased but that is okay <laughs> <laughs>
0: and if it doesn't happen by the draft I, I think yeah the it's really up in the air of when that signing could come
1: yeah at this point it's it's i don't <laughs> i mean i wouldn't blame him for trying to wait it out at all but uh i need it to be over even if you just just signed with the titans just put me out of my misery i cannot keep waking up every day. I got, I want to turn off my Twitter notifications for Rap Sheet and Adam Schefter and everybody. I, I don't need it anymore. I do not need to know things from them on a daily basis, but I need to know one thing and it just hasn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah. there's not too many things that have been going on longer than the coronavirus pandemic,
0: but j- waiting for Genevieve and Clowney to sign has been going on longer.
1: Exactly has negative an impact in my life. That's the <laughs> other thing, too.
0: <laughs> well, Alistair, really, thank you for coming on and we will look forward to talking to you more leading up to the draft. Right on. Thank you. A big thanks once again to Alistair Corp of Field Goals. Go on over to fieldgoals.com. Check out some of his articles as he breaks down position by position. Guys, on day one, day two, day three, and we'll be talking to Alistair more, I'm sure, as the draft nears in the next week and a half. In the meantime, if you're looking for more Seahawks draft talk, I had Rob Staten of Seahawks draft blog on the latest episode of the Seahawkers podcast. All the episodes of the Seahawkers podcast are ad-free and it's supported by people who go to getintheflock.com. We're also doing a giveaway for listeners of the Seahawkers podcast. The deadline is coming up April 14th. So if you tune in there, you'll get to hear some draft talk by Rob. You'll get to hear how to enter that giveaway. And also, as I mentioned, no ads. We are all listener supported over there. With the Field Goals podcast, we are up to 92 ratings and reviews through Apple Podcasts. If you tune in on an iPhone, please help me get over that 100 mark. We are almost there. Some great work going on at FieldGoals.com. If you're someone who likes to dig into the salary cap, be sure and check out John P. Gilbert's look at how draft picks will impact the Seahawks salary cap. Pretty interesting to see just how much it decreases by the Seahawks trading back. You can definitely see them doing that. And really a relatively small amount that ends up impacting the salary cap. So check that out, fieldgoals.com. Also, Tyler Olson reminds us how the draft is a great time to be appreciative of having Russell Wilson as quarterback, having a franchise quarterback, really. And as Tyler points us out, unless you have the number one pick in the 2020 draft, the chances of getting a franchise quarterback decrease pretty significantly. Also up at field goals, the mock drafts by Michael Stuffer Edwards have been great to help get to know some of the players all throughout the draft board I've got to admit I I've never heard or seen Lynn Bowden from Kentucky until Michael pointed him out and this guy, holy smokes kick returns punt returns. He's done both not so much on the punt return side, but lots of kick returns. I, I think just in terms of the special teams value, uh, a guy to consider for the Seahawks in the third round. But not only that, you know, beyond the special teams value, he's completed 38 passes, nearly 1,500 rushing yards just last year. So a guy who they handed the ball off to quite a bit, but not so much receiving yards last season. But before that, uh, he had nearly 800 receiving yards, ended up during his three years at Kentucky with 1,300 yards as a receiver so I'm going to be looking even more at him. Michael posted a link to just his highlights, and it was it was confusing me at first because uh, there was it, it mixes in his touchdown throws, and so you really have to look for him as the quarterback, the guy running the ball out of the backfield, and some of his catches at receiver. Check that out. Michael Stuffer Edwards, the penultimate Seahawks seven-round mock draft. I'm going to try and have at least three to four more draft shows coming up, And in one of those, I think we're going to be looking specifically at the SEC coming up soon. So if you have a favorite player there you might want us to talk about, hit me up on Twitter at SeahawkersPod, and let me know if there's any players you want me to make sure that we discuss. Looking forward to more draft talk coming up over the next two weeks. And until next time, go Hawks!